Welcome to the Wealth Guys Personal Finance Podcast, covering all the important wealth topics with the experts that matter. And now, here's your host, Joshua Steger. Okay, welcome everyone and thanks for joining me for another Personal Finance Podcast. As you know, we're constantly on the lookout for experts who can talk in all areas of wealth. Today we're talking about investment management and it is my great pleasure to be joined by two members of the Cadence Capital Investment Team, Wayne Davies and Simon Benouvrier. To give you a little more background on Cadence Capital, it's a highly rated list investment company trading on the Australian Stock Exchange under the code CDM. Cadence was started around eight years ago by Carl Siegling And over this time, Cadence has generated Warren Buffett-like returns of 18.43% per annum. To generate these returns, Cadence uses a unique investment process that encompasses both fundamental and technical research. And today, Wayne and Simon will tell us more about it. So firstly, over to you, Wayne. Um, What exactly is a listed investment company? Uh, thanks, Josh. Josh, yeah, so listed investment company is a, um, is a fund that is actually listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, you can buy and sell shares on the Australian Stock Exchange to, to get exposure to the fund. Um, it is a closed-end vehicle, so um, it isn't open to money being drawn out of the, uh, out of the fund at, at times when money most probably should be staying in the fund. Um, and, and, and yeah, that, that, that's really, that is really exactly what a investment company is. So, I mean, that's a good point in terms of being a closed-end fund that, that gives you some benefits as opposed to the typical managed investment um, or managed fund out there, um, basically because you don't have inflows coming in and out all the time. So, I mean, how does that enable you to, to benefit? Well, Josh, I guess the most important part then is, is that over long periods of time, we can actually implement our strategy, our philosophy, without having to worry about whether money is being drawn out of our fund um, or money is being put into the fund. I mean, typically what you find in open-end funds is that money comes into the fund at the very top of the market. And then what you find is that money is actually taken out of the fund at the very bottom of the market, just when people should actually be putting money into the fund. So really a closed-end fund is really a, a, a fund that actually protects investors from themselves. Um, so, so typically, um, what happens for us in a downturn is that our investment process would actually, and, and we'll talk through this later, but our investment process would actually move us back into cash. So right at the right time when we actually need cash and we're actually able to um, find good stocks that, that are cheap, we're able to obviously invest into them, um, as opposed to an open-ended fund when actually investors are just hand over for trying to draw money out of the fund. And, and, and this, so, so the closed-end fund actually gives us an ability to have the cash available and to invest into um, those good opportunities when, 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 when they arrive. Um, may, maybe just talking about Cadence Capital Limited specifically. Um, so there obviously are, let's say, 40 or 50 listed investment companies um, that, that invest in, in Australian equities and, and international equities that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, the, the, the things about Cadence is that we have an open mandate so we can um, invest in any, in any um, 
type of stock as long as it's listed. Um, we've just started investing in offshore stocks, and Simon can talk a little bit later about some of the new positions that we've actually found offshore. But um, specifically, the open mandate gives us the ability to move into, into let's say, small caps when there are opportunities in small caps. If there's opportunities or cheap stocks in, in large caps, we can move into the large cap space. We can move into industrials. Sometimes we're exposed to, to the mining sector or to materials. Um, and, and we also have the ability to go short. So not only can we make money when the markets are going up, but if we find stocks that are actually overpriced, we can actually short them and, and make money on, um, on, on, the, mock, sorry, on the stock moving down. Um, so that, that's really um, what, what Cadence <coughs> does. I think, I think moving to the philosophy of, of Cadence, we are the largest shareholder of our funds. You know, Carl started out this business, as we know, 10 years ago. Um, he, he started out with his own money and, and he found investors alongside who, who wanted to join him. And, and that's culminated in, in this listed fund. So we are the largest shareholders in the listed fund. So we feel that our interests are perfectly aligned with those of our fellow shareholders. Um, and, and maybe we'll move on to it now, but, but what you'll see is that our investment process, we use both fundamental and technical analysis to enter into stocks. We believe this gives us an edge. A lot of fund managers out there just use either fundamental analysis to enter into positions or they just use technical analysis to enter into positions where we use both a combination of both fundamental and technical. Um, it's, it's most probably, it, it, it's just, that's come about due to the history of Carl. Carl started off life as a trader using purely fundamental skills, uh, sorry, technical skills to, to enter and exit positions. He actually traded currency and bond markets. Um, and then at a later stage, moved into equities where he actually started life as an equity analyst doing fundamental work. So what you'll see in our investment process is, is, is really just the use of both these skill sets. And, and all our portfolio managers, both Simon, came on board with both, with both sets of skills and, and same with Chris Gerard. And, and that, that, that is in our investment process. Okay, uh, I might just highlight in terms of um, using the, the combination of technical and, and fundamental analysis is probably not, well, certainly not as broadly talked about in the market. And I mean, so we'll, so we'll just focus firstly on the, on the technical aspect. Essentially, that's you know, using charts or using the share price movements to make investment decisions. Um, can you give a bit more yeah. detail on that? Actually, Josh, can, can I just approach it the other way? Can we just... What, what we do is that we, we will only get into <coughs> positions if we fundamentally like them. Okay. So, so first off, we, we've, we, we use a philosophy. We actually use an adaptation of William O'Neill, his, um, his, his, the way he, he looks at, at, at stocks fundamentally. So we look at... We've got... We look at, at, at um, obviously, the accounts and... Um, and presentations from management and, and we actually meet up with management and from that we actually do up our models on the company and what we're looking for typically is we're looking for the peg ratio of that stock and that's for this year and for the next two years going forward. Um, so it might just, that's yep. the, the P, P growth. So, so the peg ratio exactly is P growth. So, so P is essentially the you can explain that. Yeah. So, so typically the peg the peg ratio is calculated by taking. Um, we look at what the earnings of that stock is actually are growing at, um, and then we also look at at what the PE is, 
And so typically, if something is on a P of, let's say, 10, but it's growing at 20% per annum, that's got a peg ratio of 0.5. All right. Now, something like that is very attractive to us. Something that is growing at 20% per annum, and it's only on a P of 10. All right. That, that is something that is looking attractive to us on, on the long side. The other things we look at very closely is the levels of operation, uh, sorry, operating cash flow yield and, and free cash flow yield. And we also look at balance sheet strength. Now, if something is ticking all those boxes on the fundamental side as being a cheap stock that is growing um, at, at, at high rates per, per, per year, um, that is generating cash and it's got a lot of cash on the balance sheet and no debt, that doesn't necessarily mean it gets into the portfolio. That's when we start looking at the technical side of things as, as to what you're talking about just now. And that's when we start doing our technical work. And the technical work we do isn't, isn't that difficult, really. Is that what we do is that we look at, we only invest in, in, in a long position if the trend in that stock is going upwards. So we look at the, at the one-month trend, the three-month trend, the six, sorry, the, the, the one-year trend and, and the five-year trend. And if that stock is moving up, then we're allowed to buy a 1% position in the stock. All right? we, we don't put any more on in, in, into that stock. We only take a 1% position. Now that means that if we, if we are wrong, we've done the fundamental work wrong, or the market doesn't believe that the, that it is a great stock, then what happens is that it moves down 15%. We're actually out of that stock. We hard stopped out of that position. We've lost 0.15%. Mm. All right? and, 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 and that's it. But if we've got it right and the stock moves up, we then follow the trend. We then add another percent. And if it moves up again, we add, add another percent. We're allowed to add to it four more times. So we've got a five position at cost, a five percent position at cost. So what we're doing here is that we've got a fundamental view on a stock and we're following that trend to actually build into that position. Okay, yeah, so I might might just um, so, I mean that's essentially how you make the, the actual investment you actually take the action to make an investment so just stepping back to the actual process you you mentioned um william o'neill so his his book is how to make money in in stocks so that's that's essentially what you're doing is a derivative of of that um that that book and what's what's outlined there but just in terms of fundamental research in australia um how do you go out there and screen companies and are, are there that many good companies to invest in in Australia? Yeah, sorry. In Australia, I think the pool of stocks is adequate. Um, we've recently started looking offshore actually because um, there's a finite pool here and there's many more stocks offshore um, that we could invest in that meet our criteria. But in terms of screening, we build models on stocks um, incorporating all the fundamental data and we do some um, forecasting of company earnings out two or three years. <coughs> um, we also use external research broker reports. Um, that's basically um, to check, you know, sort of it's to check against our research that we do. So that looking at, um, if we look at the top um, 300 stocks, like I'm always Analyzing different sectors and different stocks within the within the universe to see if any new um, new names could potentially meet our fundamental criteria, and then from there I look at the technicals. But like I said, we've recently started looking offshore to invest because the pool of, of investment opportunities is so much greater. Mm. 
And, th and that's, as Wayne discussed, that's a benefit of having that, that listed investment company structure and the ability to be able to, you know, look, look more broadly than just the Australian market. Um, so there's, a, there's an interesting statistic that it's what's only about 700 companies out of, out of two, over 2,000 on the ASX that actually make money in any, in any given year. I mean, in terms of your model... You have to buy buy stocks that are um, profitable, or is, is that the? Uh, we can we can potentially we can take trades in stocks that aren't generating any income at this point in time, uh, but they're considered trades, and it wouldn't be a core position. So those trades are monitored very closely, and if they start trending down, we obviously get out of the stock. But we do have a a position in uh, LNG, which. Um, doesn't generate any income at the moment, but it's done quite well for us. Uh, but by and large, I, my preference is to invest in stocks that are generating profit, and usually that falls into the ASX 300 universe. Now Joshua, part of the open mandate is that we obviously, as we discussed just now, that, that, that is typically about 80% of what we do, where we take fundamental core positions in, in stocks, and, and that, those could sit in our portfolio for five, six years, you know. Um, the short side typically a bit shorter, but then the other part of the book that generate about twenty percent of the returns are what we call market participation or trading. All right, where there are opportunities, and, and they could be placements, rights issues, they could be dual listed arbitrage. There's just a, a numerous convertible note arbitrage. There's just things that are out there that at any point in time are on this price, and we don't. At that stage, we don't have to look at any of the fundamental criteria. Though. We just have to look at the technicals, and, and those we typically that they could be on our books for a couple of you know a couple of months. They could be in our books for a little bit longer than that. But but they, you know we, we turn we, we turn that side of the book around pretty quickly. The discipline there is that when you're not making money on the trading side, you got to switch it off. All right, you don't just trade to trade. You actually have to make sure that you're actually making money. And we went through a bit of a period there where we actually weren't making money and we stopped trading for a while. But again, we're starting to trade a bit again now. So, I mean, and you, you make a good point there in terms of discipline, and, and that's the big thing being an investor. And I think, uh, you know, from what I encounter with, with clients and, or new clients and people who are looking to invest, it's the actual discipline, um, having, you know, stop losses, being able to enter the, 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 the position progressively. Um, I mean, how, yeah, are they the, the main. So, no, so, so, Josh, you're absolutely right, and, and we haven't really talked about that. The discipline of of getting in is crucial. You have to get in. You never get in in a falling stock. You know? Because all that can happen is, is it, it continues to fall. So we don't, we don't average down. We don't catch you know, falling lines or stand in front of a moving train. What we do is we wait for it to stop falling and wait for it to start moving up and then we get in. Now the same way around is that when we've been in a stock, we don't have a, a view as to the fair value of the stock or we may have a fair view of the fair value of the stock but we don't ever get out of the stock. We let it run its course. Because we might believe that the fair value is $5, but it still carries on up. It goes up to $10. We let it get up to the top of where it's going. And then when it rolls over and moves down, and the trend in that stock turns from going up to going down on that long position, we then start scaling out of the position. We start selling out. And we sell it a third, a third, and a third. The difficult thing is to obviously to try and identify when the trend in that stock has turned. Because the moves aren't ever nice and smooth, but yeah, obviously that, that's that's what Simon, you know, Simon, Chris, and Goldie, 
So we look at that very closely. We have to take a view on when we believe that trend and that stock has turned. And then when we believe it has turned, we get out. Now in some cases, like LNG, we, we actually scaled out. And then what we found was that, you know, because we followed our process, we're scaling back in. And, and, and we do find that. You know, sometimes we scale out of a position we like, and then we scale back in as well. Okay, so in terms of in, entering a position, it's, it's 1% increments, but when you think the market's turned from the top end and, and it's starting to, to come back, you'd exit it at, at one third. At, third, least, a third, at least a third, correct. Some I, mean, like, yeah, I mean, I think the key to successful money management is actually it's capital management, knowing when to add to your positions, knowing when to exit your positions. And look, our initial, when we, when we purchase a stock, the initial position is only 1%. And like I said, if we, well, like Wayne said, if we get it wrong, um, we've got hard stop um, sales in place to get us, take us out of that position with a small loss. So. I think the benefit um, I see in working at this fund um, is that we've got very strong capital management rules that enable successful money management. So we might just touch, so that's on the, the long side, so that, that means basically buying a stock to, to make a profit when it moves up, as, as most people are familiar with. Um, there's another side, which is the opposite of that, where you're buying uh, or selling a stock that you think is going to go down to try and profit. Where, where the market price falls. So in your investment mandate, you're, out, you're able to short, which is what they call shorting. Um, how do you use that as, as part of your portfolio? Okay, well right now, right now we don't have many shorts on in the portfolio because the market's going up. So generally speaking, um, you know, in a bull market, which we're in, I mean, global markets are trending higher. The US markets have just made all-time highs. We're lagging a bit, but we're still going up. Um, so you'll find in this sort of environment, there's not much shorting going on. If the market was going down, then we'd, we'd, we'd have more short positions. At the moment, we've only got one short position on in the fund, and it's it's an iron ore stock. Um, so it's basically the process in reverse. So you'd, you'd start off with a percent, and um, if, it, if it goes down, then you can add to your short position. And... Um, if it's gone up, like I, I, if you've got it wrong, then you, you'll be cut out of the position. So. I think, Joshua, what's quite important is that we are a long biased, long short fund. We believe over time markets go up. So you would find us typically being net long, mm. uh, with, with a few shorts on when there's alpha generation potential. So, so the short, that's quite important. The shorts, you know, we're not doing a pair trade here, we're not trying to reduce exposure. We're only entering a short in something if we believe that there's money to be made on the short side, if we believe that the stock's going to go down. So in terms of being able to do those, you know, manage the portfolio in that way, it's obviously, you know, provides benefits to, to what you can do versus the average investor. Um, so, so oh, correct. you know, in terms of them being able to short and manage or have the discipline to manage the way you do, I think I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll lick gives the typical self-managed super fund here the opportunity to do two things that they would find quite difficult to do in their, in their own name. The one is obviously to, actually three things maybe. The very first is that um, they can't short, or it's very difficult to short in your own name. Yeah, you know, you can maybe do it through swap or through CFD. Um, might, might just add there in terms of shorting, it's you know your potential is to, to lose is unlimited. I mean the, the share can 
continue to go up, and that that's correct. You know, correct. that creates a, a large on a short squeeze on a short squeeze situation. Again, yeah, on a short squeeze situation, um, you would prefer to most probably be with an investment manager who has experience, and most probably not even getting into that short in the first place. Um, the second thing that, that obviously our fund does is that it gives you that opportunity of international exposure, which again is quite difficult to do in your own name, or maybe through your self-managed super fund. And then the third is that we actually do use leverage, right? We have a limit of leverage of 40 cents in a dollar, but again, when things are going really well, we do have the ability to leverage up and, and, you know, and generate those extra returns. Okay, so in, in terms of leverage, you mean you, you can borrow against... We can borrow. Yeah, the, the security... We, we, exactly. We, we've got a prime brokerage facility okay. that lets us borrow. And, and so there, are there examples in the portfolio where you, you have, have borrowed in, in recent times? Or, I mean, how does that tend to sit? Uh, so typically, I think um, one of the slides that we gave you actually shows the exposure of the fund since its inception. And, and you can see uh, in it, it shows the... the the net long, sorry, the long, the long exposure and the short exposure, and you can see that through our investment process, at periods we would borrow thirty cents in the dollar. So that was just before the GFC. I think we were sitting with um, with with a net long position of you know, one hundred and thirty percent, and then you'll see through the GFC we moved into eighty percent cash, so only holding twenty percent invested. And then you'll see straight after, in 2010, we started, we, we borrowed again, we, you know, we, and the market was running. We got invested again, and we borrowed another 20 cents on the dollar. Okay. So you might just, uh, I mean, in terms of your, you have a monthly email, and you, you put out your, your regular updates on the portfolio, which would certainly encourage everyone to sign up to. Um, just in terms of that, that graph that you are talking about, can you, you know, give a bit more explanation around it? You know, having you know the three factors like the long exposure, short exposure, and your net position. Um, how? Yeah, where does that that uh, indicate your portfolio? So, so, Josh, it isn't that the fund managers at any point in time feel they want to be long the market or short the market, or they, they feel they want. What happens is that it's they're going out there visiting companies. We visit four hundred, five hundred companies a, a year. And through us visiting companies, we're sifting through, we'll start identifying opportunities. All right? And when we like something, we put a percent in. What then happens is that if we're right, we'll soon find that that position may become a 6 or 7% position in the fund. Now we're doing that across our portfolio. And that is what dictates how exposed we are to the market. So it's finding cheap stocks, buying them, and adding to them. And then the same is that when the market rolls over, we don't decide that we feel that the market's rolled over and we should start selling. We look at our individual stock positions and on an individual stock position basis, when that signal is telling us that we should be selling some of that, lining up or scaling out of that position, we do that and we finally move back into cash. So the actual net exposure to the, to, to the market is dictated by our investment process, by the opportunities that are there at the time, at that point in time. And, and, and by what the actual technicals are telling us on that stock at any point in time. Okay, so, and in terms of, of that graph, which, which people can see um, in that, that monthly update, so the period you mentioned where you had 
more shorts was was going into the GFC, which is obviously you know one of the the biggest um, corrections we, we've experienced. Correct. We, we had forty percent shorts at that time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that that was a by by nature due to the what you were seeing in the markets or from um, and there were absolutely things. Remember at that stage, stocks were overpriced. Mm. You know, there was no doubt about it. We could find stocks that we felt were overpriced. You know, and and that were you know and, and that were only let's say you know we were finding stocks that were on P's of twenty only growing at ten percent per annum. That's you know that for us is a perfect short with lots of debt on the balance sheet. We were finding those then. What happened was that through the GFC a lot of those companies just disappeared or were, you know, and then they were cheap. All right. So even though we you know we found it and even you know I think all the cheap sorry all the expensive. Um, I think right now, Simon. I mean, are you seeing any? Are you seeing any opportunities on the short side at all? Uh, possibly in the uh, resources sector. So where company earnings are actually going backwards, and there's um, some strain on the balance sheet, and also the outlook for that particular commodity is um, quite poor. And uh, as I said before, we've shorted an iron ore stock. I think. Um, the issue is a lot of the uh, a lot of those resource names where the earnings outlook is terrible, the share prices have come off a long way. So um, a lot of the fundamental information's been factored into the share price very quickly, and that's what that's what you find. But you know, occasionally you find a stock where it all aligns together and it's worthwhile shorting, and um, yeah, we've shorted a, a stock in the iron ore sector. Mm, yeah. But I guess also, Simon, I mean, maybe I, I could be wrong here, but, but we most probably have identified stocks that maybe fundamentally uh, are looking like great shorts, but technically we can't enter them yet yeah. because they're still drifting it's up. Most probably, we've most probably got about 10 or 15 mm. of those stocks that we've actually noted as such. Mm. I mean, the market here, um, I mean, the PE is reasonably high on our market. Um, I think that's mainly due to the lower interest rate environment. However, there are quite a few stocks that where the PE is at the top of its sort of range. When you go back and look at a stock and its valuation range over its listed history, there's plenty of stocks whereby the PE is expensive. So the valuation is expensive relative to the earnings growth that it's giving you, but the share price trend is still higher. So we're not going to short something based on a fundamental view of the share price trend. It's mm. up or um, sideways, you're only, you're only going to short it if it's um, if the technicals and fundamentals align. So, so it's the same discipline that you use to enter a stock. You'll use to um, enter a short as mm. well. So it'd be one percent increments. Yeah, it's really good because it. if you get it if you get it wrong, you cut out of your position pretty quickly, and you only lose a little bit of money. So, I think where a lot of um, people when they try and manage their own money. Um, they don't have disciplined capital management rules and they do things like add to their losing positions and don't cut out of losing positions and it just sort of escalates. And whereas we've got a really disciplined process that's worked over a number of years mm. and uh, hopefully it'll, uh, in the future, you know, we'll keep delivering strong returns based on that process. And, and just in terms of the use of cash, like, so when do you make a decision to, if we did see the market you know, reaching a peak, how do you, you would you use cash 
shorts? I mean, how do you protect the, you, the value of your portfolio at that, that point in time? Well, see, and again, you're absolutely right. So what we've, we've identified a whole lot of expensive stocks, stocks we want short, but we can't because the trend hasn't turned. All right. So two things happen when the trend then turns and it starts going down. The very first is we obviously scale out of our long positions because we have to follow our rules. But the other is all of a sudden those shorts that technically we couldn't get into, fundamentally we like, but technically we couldn't get into, we now start, we now can get into, and we start adding to the short side of our portfolio. So and in so doing, we move into cash. Yeah, I mean we're not going to sh- short the market. Um, we're not going to end up short. No. We're not going to end up short. We're not going to try and pick the top of the market and go, oh, it's overvalued or it's reached a peak. You know, you're going to wait for the market to actually roll over and show some evidence that it wants to go down. Mm. Um, I mean, here, here on the ASX, it's in the all odds. It's been quite, it's been quite difficult because you've had a rather choppy market. So, um, you know, but the overall trend is still up. And yeah, like, like I said, we're not going to try and pick the absolute top. We've just got to go with the trend. And um, if it rolls over and looks like it's established a strong downtrend, then we'd look at probably shorting some of those um, overvalued names from a fundamental perspective. So in, in terms of um, that, that process, I mean, what are we trying to achieve with you know, the longs, the shorts, um, the ability to, to move internationally? I mean, what, you know, is the intention you know, outperformance. Outperformance versus you want to outperform. I mean, what, what is your benchmark? The market. So the all ordinary accumulation yeah. index. That's our objective. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. And at the end of the day, yeah, the fund gets paid a performance, sorry, the manager gets paid a performance fee to outperform the all ordinary index. Um, and also what's quite important, it only gets paid the performance fee if it's positive performance as well. Um, so no, it's, it's, everything is set up to, listen, the portfolio managers themselves only get paid if they outperform. Okay. So I think that's a big thing and, and people don't realise in terms of you know, money management and, and you've both alluded to it um, so far is you know, what we're looking for is, is compounding returns. I mean, that's how you know, Warren Buffett's done so well over, over his you know, investment um, time frame is that you know he's only had a you know a handful of years where he's actually lost money. So um, is that you know something that you you try and target in, in terms of making sure that you know you're targeting those compounding returns, avoiding losses wherever possible, and and um, I mean that, that's you know such. A I guess target. so. I guess so. Look, I think you know. The way we do things is we don't add to losing positions. So a lot of other fund managers who still target the compound theory, which we do, they, they still potentially add to losing positions. So um, that's a big difference between us and everyone else. But the compounding theory, like, it's fantastic. So over time, if you have your money in your market and you're doing, you know, 10, 15, 20% per annum, it's going to end up as quite a good return over 10, 20 years. Absolutely. And, and then in terms of an investor in your fund, I mean, that's that's really what, what you want. You want an investment that you can, you know, you buy, you've got managers who are actively managing it, you know, protecting for that downside risk as well. And then, you know, just let it, let it you know, as a long-term hold, let it run. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hey, listen, I'll quickly add, Joshua, and it's, it's, I mean, obviously Warren Buffett also never paid any dividends. Listen, which differs to us. I mean, our, our lick actually does pay dividend, 
and historically we've been paying out. And, and, and that's maybe just a function of what the market here expects. Most of our investors, 60% of our, of, of our listed investment companies, investors are actually self-managed super funds. And, and so typically, you know, yeah, a lot of those guys are in drawdown mode. And so yield is quite important to them. And, and we've obviously realised that. And so, you know, we've, we've been paying out about a 6 to 7% fully frank yield over the last, the last three or four years. Okay, so just in uh, just touching on that from the, the tax perspective, and that's, a, that's another benefit of using that this investment company structure, is that while you guys are actively, well, when, when the opportunities present, you're trading the portfolio, in terms of what you actually pay out to investors, it's only um, you know, fully frank fully dividends. Fully frank, yeah, exactly, fully frank dividend. And I guess, again, one of the added benefit of a listed investment company is you can actually smooth that out over time. Whereas in, in let's say a, a managed fund structure, you know you've got really no control over that. You know you're paying out the taxable income of that fund in, in the form of distributions, which again can be quite lumpy. Um, whereas obviously in a listed investment company, you try and smooth that out so that they're actually receiving a you know a yield over over time. Absolutely, and that's um, it's crucial not only for I mean for all investors really that they want to get some some tax credits and, and particularly for a lot of the self managed super fund investors who um, you know get those tax credits back because of the, the low tax rate. Um, so we might just so I mean that's a good rundown on on the uh, you know the, the actual process. We might actually go over Simon and touch on some of some actual real-life examples of how you, you've used this process. And, and I know that you've recently um, entered an international position using um, your, your process. Oh, yep. So, I mean, look, I stock up in the portfolio uh, last year. Uh, oh, no, not last year. It was probably mm, maybe five months ago. So, your last financial year. Yeah, last one. Probably four or five months ago. Anyway, it's, it's stock called Gilead Sciences. It's a U.S. stock. And it's in the biotech pharma space. It's got a market cap of 160 billion, so it's larger than any of the big four banks here. And um, I got interested in the space, um, in that the, the biotech pharma space in the US, because it was a sector that was showing a lot of earnings growth. When I benchmarked some stocks in the industry, it was showing some stocks with some really good growth and. Um, and the, the technicals for that sector when I, when I looked at a number of stocks the technicals were quite good so I, um, I sort of benchmarked a few stocks in the sector and based on um, earnings forecasts earnings history um, balance sheet, cash flow basically all the fundamental criterias and criteria and um, from my point of view, I thought this stock, Gilead Sciences, um, was the most promising. And it was only, um, from a valuation perspective, it was the cheapest stock offering um, um, the best earnings growth in the large cap space. I'm talking about the large cap space for that industry. So I... Um, so, so that's the, the fundamental screen that you, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was, but I looked at also what they actually did, and they're in... Um, they do a number of things, but basically they've got five main focuses. Five main focus focuses, and the first one's hepatitis C. So they've invented a cure for that 
and developed a blockbuster drug. Um, they're in the HIV and AIDS space. They've got the leading franchise for that um, class of drugs. They're also in oncology, cardiovascular and respiratory um, diseases. So they develop drugs to cure um, and also prolong the, the life of people with these diseases. Um, over the next few years, the, the main earnings growth is going to come from the hepatitis C franchise. And they've, like I said, they've developed um, a drug or drugs that basically um, can cure that disease and they're the first um, company to come to market with a drug that does that. Um, over the next few years there will be competitors entering this space but I think um, these guys, um, they certainly have the lead on everyone else and from what I have seen they probably have the best, best product out there. So um, this is a large cap stock, it was trading on about when I originally invested, it was trading on about 10 times earnings. Um, so, so just to put that in perspective, the Australian markets probably was trading at the time, what, 15? or Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so an international huge company um, based in the US that, that was trading um, cheaper than now. Yeah, that's right, about 10 times. But I mean, the sector over in the US doesn't all trade that cheap, the biotech pharma space. You know, you could get stocks anywhere from... 10 times to up to, you know, 25, 30 times. So it's not, they weren't all trading this cheap. It was mainly mainly due to the earnings growth coming through from their hepatitis C drugs coming to market. But, um, and they make, the hepatitis C drugs make up a large portion of the P&L over the next couple of years. Um, so the stock, you know, is on 10 times it was offering. Um, so over the, next, net, over the next couple of years, probably going to give you, I don't know, 20% growth per annum for the next few years, just roughly, but, um, and superb balance sheet, spinning off a lot of cash, they're buying back stocks, so they've got large buy stock buyback programs, you find newer stocks, they tend to buy back stock um, rather than pay out big dividends, that's just what US companies do for tax reasons, but, um, so I initially bought a 1% position, and uh, the stock kept, the stock went up, um, some more and uh, I added to it another 1% and I've added to it several times and during that time the earnings outlooks arguably got a little bit better so you've had some earnings upgrades in the market um, as the, the fundamental as the fundamental situations actually improved somewhat so, um, so demand for their products and drugs um, has actually improved since I bought the, bought the stock so, so it currently takes up, was it? Oh, it's currently 5%, a little over 5% of our portfolio. Okay. So, so, I mean, that's a good example of a stock that, that you've used your process on, you found it you know, as a fundamental opportunity. In terms of actually entering it, you, you did it in that stage process. Yeah, so I already added to it as it's gone up progressively. And, and look, the situation for the stock could change at any time, especially if competition in the market um, kicks off an earnest or anything could happen but if the stock ever rolls over and the fundamental situation changes you know we, we might find we're scaling out of the position but for the moment it's been successful for the fund and uh, we'll just go with it you know the the um it's got the earnings growth it's got a fantastic balance sheet um and it's trending high at this point in time so okay and do you have a maximum um, position that you can take on an individual share well, we can add to it. Um, we can take the initial one percent position and add to it another four times. 
So five percent of cost. Yeah. So look, I can add to it another. I can add to it. That ends up as a thirty percent position of portfolio. Yeah. And gosh, and we've obviously done really well in it. Mm. And and Soviet witness, but obviously, you know, when it starts getting, we've had one stock that that ended up being I think twenty five percent of our portfolio. Um, RHG Limited, and you know, yeah. again, you know, we we were in that for some time, mm. and um, so that was so actually a, a good example. That was that was the uh, the Rams oh, home, Rams, home loans, which uh, which was probably one of the worst floats at, at, at a point right before the uh, the GFC, GFC and, and it suffered the brunt to to the point where. Um, you know, essentially, was no one, no one was looking at it at all. Joshua, we looked at it, and I think, gosh, it was like trading at. I can't remember exactly the figures, and Carl would remember. But you know, let's say it was trading at twelve cents or fourteen cents, and you know, it most probably had sixteen cents of cash. It mm-hmm. was you know, on a P of one or half, or you know, operating cash flow yield. It was it, it was just it was unbelievable. But again, we just you know we bought a one percent position, and we added to it four times, mm. and then soon it was as I said, it was pretty close to twenty five percent position. So so it became. But then listen, that that actual what happened there was that it actually paid up big dividends along the way. Mm. So I think yeah, it, you know, it, it, it it maybe never really got up to twenty five percent, but it, if, you know, if it hadn't paid up the dividends, it certainly would have. Um, and then yeah, we certainly made five or six times our money there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good example of, and, um, you know, in terms of the, the process and why it is better than, than what most individuals can do is because people tend to, you know, sell their losses, or sell, their ride their, yeah, sell their winners too early and, and ride their losses. So, um, in terms of your process, I mean, that's, you know, that's built to, to, to avoid that. Correct. And, uh, and that's a good example of, of how it played out. Yeah, correct. I mean, because that, that can be one of your boys' mistakes, is exactly. It's selling, selling too early. You, know, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you see a whole lot of money on the table and you take it. Because mm. um, I think that's just human nature. You know, position starts looking a little bit too big, so you start selling out your winners and adding to your losers. And listen, that, that's modern portfolio theory, you know. You start getting a bit too concentrated on something, so what do you do? And you start selling from your winning positions and then, in effect, adding to your losers. So you can get back to you know, 20 positions of 5% each. It, yeah, it makes no sense. And, and that's a good point. Because um, if we look at the portfolio versus, say, um, the market, like there's, there's not a lot of um, similarity there like in terms of, in terms of your benchmark. Um, and, that, and that's a good thing. So for an investor who's got, um, you know, might have the big four banks and... And just you know those those typical blue chip Telstra Woolworths and that type of thing. The, what you're doing on the other side is complementary, but obviously has you know benefits in its own right in terms of your portfolio. Correct, listen. I I would say quite a bit. I've seen quite a few of our investors would typically maybe buy you know the EFTs, exchange traded funds, sorry ETFs, and um, and then they would use us and maybe a couple of other links similar to us. As, you know, as, as the alpha generators, you know, to, to stick on the ends. So, um, so in terms of alpha, you mean to the outperformance? To the outperformance, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So you, so you want to do what the market's doing, but alpha's to do better than, than what the market's doing. Correct. Alpha is to do exactly, is to outperform the market. 
Um, so might just also touch on seeing that you are starting to go into the international markets more. Um, I think, you know, that's a big, big part of what we see with Australian investors that they typically, it could be, you know, 80% in Australian equities. And, and you know, in terms of our, our market, it's such a, such a drop in the ocean compared to what's available internationally. Um, so having, you know, taken your first, first international investment in, a, in, in that size, I mean, are you seeing some more opportunities to, to go international? Um, yeah, so I mean, we've taken small steps offshore and it's been a recent thing. So um, at the moment, we've got a few offshore positions. Uh, I don't know if I can mention any because they're not out in the... Um, they're not out. They they're not, yeah, they're not out in the... Because um, we release stock to the ASIC, so they're not yes. out in our um, monthly... We've uh, probably got about seven or eight offshore positions. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, we, we, we just said we dipped our toe in the water. Yeah. We said at last year's agent we're going to dip our toe in the water offshore. Mm. It took us a bit of time to set up the infrastructure to be able to do that, and the systems and the prime brokerage facilities. And then, as I see, as Simon started out with Gilead, I think that was really our first offshore position. Yeah. We've had that for five or six months now, and we've now got six or seven Yeah, so, yeah Carl's put a couple in. I've um, put another one in where I've also added to it recently. Um, and uh, look, I mean, I still like Aussie stocks. You know, they're going to give you... Um, some reasonable earnings growth, and plus the fully frank dividend yields, which are really attractive, especially for self-managed super funds. So I still like the Aussie market. This is um, just investing offshore, um, you know, just gives it that bit extra to your portfolio. You know, if you can find a stock, I mean, you can find, yeah, like large cap stocks over there that, that are growing at 20% per annum, their earnings growing at 20% per annum. Like it's rare to find a large cap stock here that's growing at that same pace. Uh, I mean, there's certainly a lot more global businesses when you look internationally as opposed to Australia. It seems to be very domestic focused in terms of a lot of what the Australian companies do. That's right. That's right. But I mean, you know, if you look at the stocks here, like I said, there are still stocks that are going to give you. 10% 10% earnings growth, the large caps and blue chips, 10% earnings growth plus a fully frank dividend yield of 5-6%. I mean, that's still decent. Um, uh, but yeah, offshore, you know, it just adds to the diversification and hopefully um, um, you can find some good opportunities off there. Okay, and in terms of the offshore market, so obviously you're look, looking at the US, yeah. but you also consider, you know, Europe and Asia. Yeah. So, well, it's mainly developed markets at the moment, so it's the US and Europe. Um, but we will, in time, potentially look at Asian markets, but we haven't invested there yet. Yeah. Okay, and, and so we might just briefly touch on you know what what you're seeing in the in the markets um, at the moment. I mean, in, in terms of your your fundamental screens, I mean, are you seeing opportunities, or or do you have a view at the moment? Oh well, as I said before, I think the markets are going higher, so the US is making all-time highs at the moment. I think um, oh look, the US market's got more momentum than the Aussie market. I think, um, uh, I mean, here in Australia, you've got basically financial services and banks and resources, and you've got a small pool of industrial stocks. I think the banks are looking at reasonable value. They're still going to give you anywhere between 5 and 10% earnings growth, uh, plus a good dividend yield. If there's a sell-off, around speculation to do with that financial system inquiry, I think it's probably a buying opportunity. I think it's sort of a little overhyped and overtalked um, from a, the negative point of view. Um, 
resources I don't really like at all. I think commodity prices are sort of under pressure. Most of them, the bulks, iron ore and coal, you've probably seen the peak prices. And the supply in those sectors is um, increasing quite rapidly. So mining stocks in general, I don't really like. The financial stocks, banks, insurers, wealth managers, I like. Um, industrials such as healthcare, I like. I think, you know, um, got a, obviously a big name IPO coming up that should do okay. Um, hospital providers are looking okay, albeit the PEs are expensive. Um, so I like the healthcare space in general. Um, and the industrial sector, some of it's a bit hit and miss, like the, the transport's probably under earnings pressure. Oh, sorry, there's earnings pressure in transports and, and cyclical parts of the industrial sector. So um, overall, like I'm, I'm still bullish on the Aussie market. I just think you've got to be selective on which sector you, you gravitate towards. And I think that's why you'll probably find some sectors go up um, a lot more than others, and you just got to be, you know, selective about what you're going to. And the U.S. market seems to be um, firing on all cylinders. Um, GDP growth over there is exceeding expectation. The market, you know, the Fed's stopped QE, but the market's making new highs, which is pretty bullish to me. And um, you know, hence why um, we've probably made the U.S. our first stop for investing at the moment in the market that we're looking at. Okay. Um, so just just conscious of time, I think we might might just wrap it up there. But I'd like to thank um, both both Wayne and Simon for those um, important insights into the the Cadence Capital you know, investment process and, and some insights into the market at the moment. Um, so once again, I'd highlight um, that you know you can buy Cadence as a is listed on the on the Australian Stock Exchange under the the code CDM. And I'd certainly encourage everyone to sign up to, to the monthly email, which um, you can do on the website. www.cadencecapital.com.au And so, yeah, it's a free, free sign-up and you'll get the, uh, keep, keep updated with the, with the process of the portfolio and uh, hopefully some more international investments over time. So, yeah, thanks, thanks Wayne and Simon. Yeah, thank you, Joshua. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Guys Personal Finance Podcast. To find out more, go to www.joshuastiga.com.